0: After a section about wives being submissive to your husbands, which you can, guys, you can mark that in your Bibles for when you need it. But we come to verse 7, 1 Peter 3, 7. Listen to what Peter, a married guy, said, "'Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel,' that means the more delicate vessel,' and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So what Peter is saying is, Deal with your wife and use your brain. Think about how you are treating her. She's delicate. Now, again, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is saying, if you want to stay married, why don't you use your head a little bit? Now, what does that mean? Okay, if you're married, think about how you acted around your spouse when you were courting them, when you were wanting to get married. I can... I know this is true for women, but I can speak for a man for certain. The truth is, any of us men, if we acted just like ourselves when we were dating, we would have never got married. There was no way. So we're smart enough to go, okay, I need to clean up my act a little bit. I need to act a little differently, be a little nicer and more polite. You know, When you're first dating somebody, you hope none of your friends are around. And so then you start acting like you. And I, I remember when I first dated Ann, I showed up, and we had become friends, and she knew me as this long-haired guy, And and but I wanted to impress her, because this is like kind of a real date. And so I cut my hair, and she was shocked. And I also, I wasn't wearing jeans, I was wearing like some probably double-knit pants or something, and had this kind of nerdy, hide leisure suit coat, you know, and I showed up on her doorstep, and she was like, who is this? But, hey, it worked, you know, so (laughs) can't argue with success. But I knew there were certain things I I needed to think about how I talked to her, what I would say around her, what I would do in front of her. And the truth is, let's face it, women do the same thing. We're all sort of trying to con each other in a way, trying to put our best foot forward when we're looking to hook a live one. But, and, and that's fine. The problem is what we do after we get married. As soon as you get married, then it's like, oh good, I can be myself. You start to do all sorts of disgusting things in front of each other that, if you want to know some of them, you can listen to the tape from first service. I said I wouldn't say it again. But, you know, things start happening that are just different. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now I'm comfortable and I can be myself. You know what? Somebody who marries you doesn't really want you to be yourself. They would like you to act like a human being. They would like you to act in a way like, you know, when you're trying to get someone to date you, you try to act in such a way that they'll want to hang around you. But then as soon as you get married so often, you act in a way that's just repulsive, that would drive someone away, and you expect you're banking on the fact that, well, Sorry, we got the contract. We sent it in. It's a done deal. They can't leave now. If you leave now, I'll have all kinds of Bible verses to pound you over the head with that, you know, you don't have grounds. I can do whatever I want as long as I don't do that. Then you're stuck with me. But Paul would go, if you want your marriage to be like what marriage really is, how about using your head a little bit after you're married? How about thinking? Now, certainly, there are all sorts of obligations and things that go with the commitment of marriage, but primarily, he starts it with, how about thinking good thoughts? How about thinking of how you can bless each other? How about considering what it takes to make a relationship work? Now, he goes on to say, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, he's not saying that you're the boss of each other. What he's saying is, you guys are in this together. And your responsibility, your opportunity, if you're married, is to, and and your task really, is to make another person happy, is to make another person to be fulfilled to cause them to feel blessed. Your job is to make that person to be what really would be best. And so you're not thinking of you, you're thinking of them. Now, this works really well when both people do it. But what happens is if, if I'm married to you and you're not thinking about me, you're just thinking about you, well, then I'm like, hey, nobody's thinking about me. I better start thinking about me. But in reality, it would be much better if I was thinking of you and you were thinking of me. But all it takes usually is a little bit of selfishness to come in, and then what happens? I'm thinking of me, you're thinking of you, we have great fights, we're arguing over who gets what and who does what and who's right and who's wrong. And Paul goes, hey, remember where it said the two become one? You are supposed to, your responsibility is for another person. Take that responsibility seriously. Think of what you can do to bless that other person. And if you do that, it works really well. You don't even have to get to the section on divorce because you'll minister to each other in a way if you just think a little bit and do what God would have you to do. Do what you promised you would do on your wedding day. And if you do that, piece of cake if you don't do that lots of other problems coming down the pike for sure and so again it's be a little sensitive to each other of what the other person needs now he goes on to say do not deprive one another except with consent for a time That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now what he's talking about here, and again, a lot of times people just say you need to just have plenty of physical intimacy. But that's not that's not really the deal. The word there for deprived, the old King James, I think, says defraud. That was a pretty accurate word for the way they used this word. In fact, you know there's a there's a place over in James that specifically talks about hey if somebody's working for you and you don't pay them then you're defrauding them it uses the same word and and their voice cries out to god for help and for you know probably vengeance as well it's the same word the the original word that's used here is a combination of words one of them apa means to be torn apart and the other one is the word stereo, which is the word that means strength, solid, or full. And what he's saying here is in a relationship, don't be tearing it apart from its strength, from its base. Don't do things that will allow the two of you to, be, to, become, to have a wedge drawn between you, if you will. It's important to hang on to each other, to stick together, to support each other. Now, there are times when you need to be apart, and sometimes that can be really painful. But he says if you're married to someone and you need to be apart for a time, for a season, in whatever way, then make sure that it's by consent. Make sure that you both agree to it. Now, I think of Billy Graham, who you know, in the earlier part of his ministry, especially before there were transatlantic flights, when God would call him to go minister over in Europe, you didn't fly to Europe. You took a boat. And he would be gone for months from his family. And you might listen, think of that and go, oh, what a horrible thing for Ruth, his wife, and for the kids. But Their perspective was, Ruth always felt like it's such a blessing that God's going to use Billy in this way, and she would do things to have special fun with the kids and make it a positive thing while he was gone, so it worked. There are some people who maybe have a military commitment or a a professional commitment that causes there to be a separation sometimes that happens. Paul's point is, if that's the deal, fine, but make sure that it's with consent. Make sure that this is okay and works for both of you. Not just one person going, look, this is the way it is. If you don't like it, tough. But even in cases of a time for prayer and fasting, for whatever occasion that would cause a separation, don't let it be a wedge. Don't let it be a ripping apart. Don't let it be a destructive sort of separation. Sometimes it's not a major event that causes this kind of separation. Sometimes it's something that happens over a period of months or even years where gradually two people just start to grow apart. They just stop relating to each other. Obviously, physical affection goes by the boards as well, but that's not the issue. The issue is when did that which was solid and strong and encouraging become like two parties that hardly know each other. Sometimes people don't even realize the separate. they've been separated for years and they don't realize it until their kids are grown and they have nothing else in common. But Paul would just go, don't let that happen. Don't do that. Realize you're in this together. You're in this, you will be blessed as the two of you are blessed. Work together and think about it and build this kind of a union whereby you will be able to fulfill God's ideal. Two people together, supporting each other for the rest of their lives. That's what marriage is. And again, when we don't do this stuff, then then the question's gonna be, okay, how bad does it get before I can get a divorce? Or what are the ways in which... I've had people come and talk to me and say, you know, I know that if I had an affair then my spouse would get so mad they would leave. And our marriage is so miserable, I'm thinking about doing it and telling her so that then I'm off the hook because then if she divorces me, then it's, it's like you get so many of these goofy thoughts that go through people's heads. And Paul would go, hey, if you want to be married, how about trying doing marriage right? How about doing it the way it's supposed to be done? And if you do it, then all of that other stuff take care of itself. You won't be coming up with all the tricky questions about loopholes and things like that. But he says in verse 6, I say this as a concession or as permission, not as a commandment. Paul's like, look, if you don't think I know what I'm talking about, do it your way. I'm not setting up a set of rules. I'm not going, okay, do this and this and this and here's how much time you should spend together and here's how long you could be apart and, well, what does it actually mean, prayer and fasting and, and how much physical intimacy is enough in order to make... He's going, whatever, look, I'm just telling you. If I was married, this is what I'd be thinking about. But I'm not trying to set up a new law for you. But he goes on to say... I wish that all men were even as I myself. Cuz I wish every guy could handle just being single. Paul had that gift he recognized most people don't. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. He's going to talk about that a lot, a lot more in the in the rest of the chapter. But he he says, look, if you want and he goes on If you want to be celibate, you can always do that. That's an option. In other words, you guys are whining to me about your marriage. Did I tell you you had to get married? Whatever caused you to want to be married in the first place? Maybe you need to get back to thinking about that. But I say, verse 8, to the unmarried, those who have already been there and done that or have never been there and done that, and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. Hey, see how it works for you to be single. Maybe, maybe that's the way you're supposed to live. And especially, he goes in later about the present distress. There was a lot of persecution, a lot of tough times. And so he said, man, in a time like this, there are real advantages to being single. Maybe you ought to. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry For it is better to marry than to burn, the translators put in with passion. He goes, I'm just telling you this. If you're going to be married, here's how you do it. How about you decide that you're committed to it? How about you decide that what you want to do is everything that you can do to make this other person happy? How about you use your head and you live your life in such a way that somebody would want to be married to you? Let's start there. And then beyond that, if you're going to be single, if you'd rather be single, if you think marriage isn't worth it, okay. That's why a little later on, and we'll see this next week, but when he's talking to the women who are in difficult situations, he says uh, um, a, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. He wasn't trying to come up with a strict set of rules what he's saying is look, don't just if you decide to leave one person, don't just go jump in into another relationship and continue to do damage when you haven't figured out what how to how to do marriage at all. You know, better off just to go okay, maybe you're just not supposed to be married. For most people, that's not their calling for most people i think they should be married but at the same time they really don't want to pay the price of being married i i have a friend who has been single all his life and he's getting up there now and his whole thing we always told him you know if you would just dress a little nicer maybe get a good place to live or do you know and his attitude was you know what i'm waiting for a woman who's just going to love me for who i am like nobody's going to love you for who you are. <laughs> so he's single and that's fine. That's the way it works. If you, The truth is, if you won't treat people the way that Paul says you're supposed to treat them, you will be single. It'll happen. And you can sit there and act like you're the one who's right and they're the one who's wrong. It isn't going to matter. You're going to be alone. I one of the first times when I was on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa, I saw Pastor Romaine counseling a guy. And this guy was just sobbing and crying, so out of control. And I went over to see what was going on, and I heard the guy say to Romaine, My wife just left me. And Romaine goes, Good. <laughs> and the guy's like, Good, why is it good? And he said, Did she leave you because you were loving her like Christ loved the church? Is that what drove her out of the house? <laughs> and, of course, then he's crying and sobbing. And I walked away a little later. I heard him saying, you know, but, but how do I change? And Romaine said, not how, when. When are you going to change? And this is the reality. You can sit there and argue technicality is all you want. But the truth is, if you want to live in harmony with another person, if you want to live with another person at all, you better get off the kick of just thinking that, boy, fortunately, she has to stay with me because the Bible won't give her an excuse and neither will I, so she's stuck. How about going, how can I act in such a way, live in such a way, be the kind of spouse whereby she would never dream of leaving me? She would want to be with me. He would. I. It's amazing how many guys I've seen, and I'll pick on the guys because I am one, but who are like just totally stubborn, living their lives completely selfishly, and then all of a sudden it catches up to them, and their, and their wife can't take it anymore and leaves, and then the man's like Joe Spiritual, and he's wanting a pastor to go and rebuke his wife about, you know, look, you don't have grounds for, hey, technical grounds, I don't know. The truth is, you're a jerk, and it would be really hard to live with someone like you. We can argue technicalities or we can deal with the reality that if if you want to be married, why don't you treat people like you want to be treated? How about you pouring yourself into them and giving yourself of them? And remember, there is an alternative. Remember, you can always be single if that's what you want. And there are some people who have discovered really the beauty of singleness. And in a couple of weeks as we get to the passage on that, we'll see that. And I... And I think a lot of times, until you get to where you're, you can be happy being single, God doesn't put you in a situation where he puts you into a relationship at certain points. But for those of us who are in a relationship, it's a real clear choice. Do you want to just hang in there so that you can brag about 60 years of misery someday? You know, and go, yep, we gutted it out the whole time for the Lord. <laughs> or... You want your marriage to actually be a picture of what it's supposed to be a picture of. That unity, that mutual ministry, that sincere affection whereby I really care how I affect this other person. It really means something to me that our marriage could be an example to people of how two people who are very different can get along and thrive and be a blessing to each other. Again, Paul says, if you can handle being single, sure, that's the easy thing, certainly, if it's easy for you. But if you're one of these people that knows that's not your gift, why don't you start cleaning up your act and acting like you ought to be? Why don't you be the kind of person who is other-centered? Why don't you be someone who's willing to give? Now, you can't make it work by yourself. Sometimes that'll help. All it takes is one person to to be committed to the Lord sometimes, and they become and take a profound effect on the other person, and we'll see that next week. But in reality, for it to work, it takes two people who get this, two people who apply their good thinking, who apply that mutual commitment and that loving, affectionate acceptance of each other. And when two people do it, it can't miss you cannot lose. And so Paul goes, here's what marriage can be. Here's what I, I would want it for you if you're someone who is going to be married. This is how it works best. For when it doesn't work out, yeah, God doesn't, God doesn't just bail on you and go, okay, you blew it, so you're just done. You'll never be blessed again. You'll never be happy again. God has all kinds of gracious ways to deal with his people. And we'll see some of those as we go through the rest of the chapter. But I want to focus in on those of us who have had the opportunity and there's still someone who's willing to be married to us. Let's make a difference. Let's live our lives and in our marriages not as if we're trying to tear each other apart, but recognizing the beauty of being able to be with another person and have that be desirable. Have them want us as much as we want them. That's a great thing. And then marriage can be what it's supposed to be, a picture of God's love for his people. I know there are some people for whom this is painful because you look back and go, yeah, well, I wish I had known this a long time ago. But always, as we're going to see later on in the chapter, it's all about starting now It's all about starting here and now. How can I start to do what God wants me to do right now? How can I take the opportunity to be obedient to him right now in where I am? Don't look back. Don't beat yourself up with regret. Start today being obedient to God. And he has plans for you. He wants to do good things in your life. And that's the message that, Paul is communicating here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Important lessons for us to learn. Let's pray.